Let's pray together. In Isaiah 60, it's wonderful verses from the prophet looking ahead to Jesus, and it says this. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and a deep darkness all the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And Heavenly Father, that is what very much what we have come to do here today. And as we have stood together listening to the reading of Scripture, as we have stood together singing these great hymns of our faith that, that declare the power and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Father, we celebrate that the light of the world has come. And though he was, as we just sang, by darkness, slain. Up from the grave he rose again. Father, we thank you this morning that we serve a risen Savior. We thank you this morning that we worship a living Savior. Father, we thank you that what happened at a tomb, at a graveside 2,000 years ago that we celebrate today, Father, that the power of what happened that day is just as powerful and just as relevant and just as available to each and every one of us as it was that very first morning when Jesus got up and rose Again, Father, we are thankful that you chose to send your Son as our Savior. We are thankful that he was willing to lay down his life. And we are thankful that you raised him up again in victory. And because he lives, we can too. Father, it is so good for us to be here this morning as brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's so good to remember and to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, it's so good to sing your praise. It's so good to hear the scriptures. It's so good to fellowship with one another And Father, as we not transition away from worship, but just to continue now worshiping in another way, worshiping you not in song, but in the study and the proclamation of scriptures, Father, we pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, would be with us in a powerful, relevant, personal, discernible way. Father, I believe this morning, we believe that there's not a person in this room that's here by accident. And we believe that each and every person who is in this room, that you have something to say to them. Father, not because I have anything eloquent or wonderful, but because when the Bible is opened and the scriptures are proclaimed, and Father, we trust in your Holy Spirit, you go to work in each of our lives to do things that only you can do. And Father, we look forward to that right now. And as we prepare to open the scriptures, we want to do what we always do at this time, and that is invite the Holy Spirit of God to have his way among us and with each and every one of us. Holy Spirit, we pray that on this resurrection Sunday morning, you would come and guide us in the truth. Holy Spirit, we pray that this morning you would come and guard us from error or confusion or misunderstanding. Holy Spirit, we pray that as as we study your word together, that, that you would deliver us from whatever baggage we carried in this morning. Father, whether it's the baggage of indifference or pride or or a broken heart or just a distracted spirit, that, that you would wash all of those things away. And in these precious moments together, we ask above all that you would help us to see Jesus. Father, may we see Jesus clearly this morning in the preaching of your word. May we see Jesus only this morning in the preaching of your word. And Father, when we walk out of these doors in just a little while, Father, into this incredible, beautiful day with which you have blessed us, Father, may it be May our rejoicing be about more than we went to church. May it be about more than than spring has finally come and we have good things perhaps to look forward to this afternoon. May we leave rejoicing, Father, and always remembering, celebrating the fact that our Savior lives. It is him we love. It is him we seek. And it is in his name that we pray as all God's people said together like they mean it. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Well, again, good morning. Happy Easter. He is risen. 
Right on, right on. Hey, if you have a Bible, I want you to take it out, and I want you to meet me this morning as we look to the story of the resurrection in Mark chapter 16. Would you take out a Bible if you have it? If you don't, you can pull one up on your phone, or you can uh, casually lean over someone else's shoulder and look at theirs. Uh, But I want you to get to Mark chapter 16, where we're going to read, as I said here in just a few moments, the story the true story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As you're making your way there, I actually want to say just a couple of quick things as, uh, as well, one of which is I just want to echo what Scott said earlier. It is so good to see you here uh, today, so many of you here today. I remember standing in this spot a year ago right now, and there were 12 people in the building because that's all we were allowed to have. And it was, it was wonderful that it was Easter, but it was kind of sad and lonely too. And so it is great to see real faces and hear real voices and, uh, and to be able to worship God together. So welcome back, for sure. I know we've been doing this for a while, but wow, what a way to, to come into Easter. I also want to mention, um, I think kiddos, you've probably already figured this out, we are not having children's church today, so you're going to stay with us through the sermon. However, I want you to hang in there if you were hoping for children's church, because I heard someone told me that on the way out the door today, there, are, there is a gift for the kids. All right, and, and I don't know what they mean by kids. I just know that there are gifts for kids. And so if they hand you one, say thank you. And if they don't, it means you're not a kid anymore. But I, I heard this, so hang in there. And I imagine, based on the person who told me, that it's something pretty cool. So uh, we are excited uh, about that, to be able to share that with you. And then the last thing I just want to mention, and this is just sort of free, and you may care and you may not, but, but did you enjoy that video we began with this morning, that uh, proclamation of Jesus? I heard that many years ago. Actually, a number of us men, we used to go to the pastor's conference at Moody Bible Institute, and I think that was the first place many of us uh, heard it, and I hear every time I hear it, it just sort of gives me chills all over again. Such a radical, wonderful proclamation of who Jesus Christ is. If you want to go look it up, it's simply called That's My King. Uh, the, the, the preacher, and this is really why I wanted to share it, the preacher, he is now uh, with the Lord, uh, was a preacher by the name of Pastor S.M. Lockridge. And S.M., you would never guess what it stands for, but his name was literally Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. And I thought, man, if your pastor is named Shadrach Meshach Lockridge, you got a good church, I think. Uh, you get Aaron, Greg, and Jesse here, and I don't know, you can do with that what you want, but, but I encourage you to go check that out and, uh, and give it a listen again. I think you'll enjoy it. Maybe share it with a friend uh, just in celebration of who Jesus Christ is. With all that said, we're, of course, here to celebrate the resurrection, and so, as I said, I want you to look with me in your Bible this morning. I'm going to begin with the reading of Scripture in Mark chapter 16, where Mark's account of the resurrection, it begins in verse 1, it continues through verse 8. If you'll follow along in your Bible, this is what? The word of God says. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here's the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. And they, that is the women, went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. 
You know, a question that is sometimes asked about the Bible is why we have, or why in the Bible we would even need, four different Gospels. Four unique, separate, distinct accounts of the life and of the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's a question that's asked by skeptics. It's a question sometimes asked by seekers. Sometimes even as as believers, we want to know, why is it that we would need not one, not two, not three, but four distinct copies or, 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 or accounts of what Jesus did while he was here on earth, especially since, as some would say or suggest, it seems like at times there are discrepancies between them, that they share different information that's sometimes difficult to reconcile. And I want you to know that's a fair question. I think it's a good question, and I think when it is asked sincerely, it deserves a fair, good, sincere answer. And the fact of the matter is, there are a number of good ways to go about responding to it. You could respond to the question of why we have these four separate gospel accounts. Uh, You could respond to it from a theological angle, because certainly there are theological and doctrinal reasons for it. You could look at it from a a cultural angle. There are cultural significance that, that we may not see at first, but to each of the four gospels that make them unique and distinct. But But perhaps the most useful angle is the one that we are going to approach it from this morning, and that is simply by looking at it from the practical, why there are these multiple accounts of Jesus' life. And to do that, I want you to imagine for a moment, all right? We're going to go land of make-believe for just a moment. I want you to imagine with me that it is summertime. In fact, it's the 4th of July, and we're all looking forward to summertime. We're getting that taste of it today. Everybody's excited about it. But I want you to imagine it's the 4th of July, and you and your family or a few close friends are headed downtown just a few blocks from here to watch the, the, the massive annual Independence Day fireworks celebration. And the reason I want you to do that is because you're all going to the same place. You're all going to the same place for the same reason. You're all going, when you get there, to witness the same event. But... Even as you sit there, side by side, shoulder to shoulder, all sitting there waiting for the fireworks to begin, you will, and you know this is true, you're each going to have your own unique personal observations of what it is you're witnessing. One of you, perhaps, perhaps like like I often do, may sit there watching the fireworks display, just sort of in wonderment at, at, at how... Fireworks, explosives can be shot in the air, and they make colors, and and they make shapes and discernible uh, geometric patterns. I find that fascinating. That may be what one person's observation or where their thoughts turn. Someone else, perhaps in your group, is captivated by the sound and the noise as it reverberates off the downtown uh, office buildings. Sometimes you can even feel that vibration in your chest uh, as the explosions go off one after another. And then maybe somebody in your group even as they're enjoying the display of, of the fireworks, are looking around at the expressions on other people's faces. Children, right? Maybe some of them seeing fireworks for the very first time that they can remember and just sort of that awe and that wonder. One shared event. Several uniquely personal experiences. That's the deal with the New Testament Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the reason I say that is perhaps nowhere is that clearer, and perhaps nowhere is it more relevant and even helpful than in their accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One event retold or shared with us by four authors, each with his own angle to share. However, one thing they all have in common One thing, common thread between them, at least in the three that record the conversation that we just looked at here in the first eight verses of Mark chapter 16, 
is, is the angel's announcement. All three of the Gospels that record the conversation record the announcement of the angel, one we've already exchanged here with one another a couple of times this morning, and they all record it in exactly the same way. Look at your Bible, Mark 16, 6. The angel said to the women, he has risen. Now, one of the interesting things about that announcement, the centerpiece of of this particular scene, this particular moment in the story of Jesus' resurrection, is that while it's three words in our Bibles, if, if you go back to the original Greek in which the New Testament was written, it's actually just one word. In fact, that one word is a complete sentence all by itself. You may not care to know it or write it down. The Greek term is egerthe. Egerthe. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, and it's in Luke, and in each place it means exactly the same thing. He has risen. And And so on this particular Easter Sunday morning, what I want to do is I want to take the remainder of our time to sort of narrow the whole story down to that declaration. That one word sermon in a sentence that the angel had for the women that morning that they were then, of course, to go and proclaim and share with others. And we're going to do it. There's three points in the sermon, as there often are uh, when I am the one preaching. And for each of those points is going to revolve around one of those words. He has Risen, And since it makes sense to start at the beginning, we'll start with he, because the first thing I want you to take note of with me this morning, as we look at the story of the resurrection, as we process and consider the angelic declaration he has written, I want to talk with you first for a few minutes about, number one, the one whom they sought. He, Jesus, the one whom the women came seeking at the tomb. Now, if you look again at your Bible at verse 6, When the angel makes this announcement, he is risen. He was obviously speaking of, as it says right there, he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. Now that's important, just that much right there, because what we are being told, so to speak, or or what is being communicated to us, is they were looking for a real man, Jesus the Nazarene, who really did live a human life, and who really had, three days earlier, been arrested, been tortured, been put on trial, been condemned, and he really had been nailed to a cross of wood with real nails through his hands and his feet. Jesus the Nazarene. But the angel knew more. The women came looking for Jesus the Nazarene, but what the angel knew about Jesus the Nazarene is he was so much more than just a carpenter. That he was the king of kings. He was also the Lord of lords, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the great high priest, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, and the life. The angel knew that he was, in a word, God. And while in no way seeking to diminish or, 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 or disregard that, what I really want you to consider with me is who he was to those women Who was it that they came looking for? If you go back to verse 1, we're told that that in this company of women that morning, it says when the Sabbath was over, first of all, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. She's mentioned in all four Gospels, and she would appear to be sort of the ringleader, the, the instigator of this early morning journey to go anoint the body of Jesus for burial. What do we know about Mary Magdalene? Well, from the other Gospel accounts, we know that once upon a time, she'd been possessed by seven demonic spirits. The number seven specifically uh, in biblical language uh, representing absolute domination, complete control by evil spirits. And yet very early in his ministry, what did Jesus do? Well, he delivered her completely, transformed her life. And she, from 
from that moment on became one of Jesus' earliest, most devoted, most committed followers, staying right up with him here to the very end. Secondly, verse 1 says, if you look at it, not only was Mary Magdalene there, but, but another Mary, noted as the mother of James. James was one of the disciples. James the Less, or James the Lesser, he's sometimes referred to to distinguish him from another James. And, and what we know, again, from the other gospel accounts about this woman is that she also had been following Jesus for quite some time. Maybe as soon as Jesus came and called her boy, and she said, well, if he's going, I'm going too. I don't know, that's conjecture, but, but she became also one of his most devoted followers. The Bible tells us that she was an eyewitness to his trial, to his crucifixion, to his death, even to, on Friday evening, his burial. And along with others, the Gospel of Luke tells us that she was a significant financial supporter, backer of Jesus' ministry. She made sure he had the resources to do what he'd come to do. Third, Mark tells us about a woman named Salome. And, and here he doesn't tell us anything about her, but if you were to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, you'd discover that Salome was the wife of a man named Zebedee. And if you know the name Zebedee, you know that's because he was the father, making Salome the mother of James and John, the sons of thunder, two of Jesus, closest friends and disciples here on earth. That, that would also remind you, if you know the story of Jesus, that she's a woman who learned a, a pretty powerful lesson in humility from Jesus one day, right? When they were out for a walk and she sidles up next to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, I want you to do something for me. Give my two boys, Jimmy and, and Johnny, give them the two best seats in your future kingdom. And Jesus had to, to set that one straight, but she continued to follow him as well. And then while not mentioned here in Mark 16, if you go to one of the other gospel accounts, Luke's, I believe it is, there was another named woman, Joanna. Joanna was married to a man who worked directly under King Herod there in Jerusalem. And like Mary Magdalene, what we also know about Joanna is that once upon a time she'd been possessed by evil spirits as well, and Jesus had rescued and cleansed and delivered her. And my point in all of this, my point of walking you through those brief biographical sketches is that he, the one whom they sought, was the one who had radically transformed their lives. Yes, he was Jesus the Nazarene, the carpenter. Yes, he was son of God and savior of the world. But, but in a certain sense, they'd really just come seeking their friend. Again, that's not putting any of the other stuff aside. But this was a man for whom three years they had loved, trusted, they'd given up the rest of their lives for. They'd given everything for him and to him and to the message he came preaching. They came to the tomb that morning because he was their friend. You know, a few years back in uh, what is... <laughs> what is it our house unanimously considered the lamest family vacation of all time? And it was. I own that, but... But we found ourselves one morning, my wife and I and four of our boys, uh, inside of Cincinnati's. That ought to tell you everything you need to know about family vacation to Cincinnati. Sorry, Ohio people, that's just the way it was. We found ourselves standing inside because it was dreary and cold and we could not think of anything else to do. We began wandering around downtown and we found ourselves in Cincinnati's magnificent St. Peter and Chains Catholic Cathedral. Uh, it was right across the street from this, this historic Baptist church. We walked through there. We came across to this Catholic cathedral. And I don't know what anybody else really in my family thought about it, but I found myself very quickly just in a place of, of, of wonder and awe. The place was massive. And the architecture and, and the artistry and, and the layout and just the sense of, 
of worship that, that I sensed there was, it was really moving. And we spent about an hour just walking and looking around and sort of taking it all in. And as I said, I, it really just, the, the word that I kept coming back to was, was awe. Awe of God. And of course, in a place like that, that's part of the design. It's why it's built that way. And I believe with all my heart that as followers of Jesus, if you know Jesus Christ here this morning, you need to regularly find yourself in awe of him. Just overwhelmed by who he is and what he's like and the power he has and what he's done for you. We need that. But you know what? At the same time, like these women, and I bet you do too, I cherish the fact that he is also my friend. That everyone who trusts Jesus Christ as Savior is, the Bible tells us, the friend of God. He's your friend. He cares about you. He knows you. He loves you. And so I just want to ask you the question, who did you come seeking this morning? Who are you here for? Who is Jesus to you? And as you think about that, I don't necessarily want you to answer that yet. Maybe you know the answer right away. But before you settle in on what, what you would really, how you would respond to that question, who did you come seeking? Who is he to you? I think you should look with me at, at the second thing I want you to see here as we jump from the word he at the beginning of the declaration to risen at the end of the declaration and take a look with me secondly at how this angel explained Jesus' absence. The first thing we need to see is the one whom they sought. The second thing we need to consider is how the absence of Jesus at the tomb was explained. You know, 2,000 years after the fact, we need to remember, and, and it needs to be stressed, really, as, as Tim Keller says, that, that, quote, the people of Jesus' day, think about this, the people of Jesus' day, Keller says, were no more predisposed to believe in resurrection than we are. I mean, just because they are in the Bible, just because they lived in Bible times, didn't give them some, some extra sensory insight or, or awareness or, or, or faith that, that, that these sort of things would, would happen, that resurrection was, was possible. And furthermore, I would submit to you, when the women came to the tomb that morning, they were not expecting one. In fact, if you go back through those first couple of verses, what's the primary point of conversation as they're making their way out to the tomb? Who's going to move that stone? Because they'd all been there and seen it rolled over the opening on Friday evening. They're expecting to find a grave still closed. I would also point out that the male disciples didn't even bother coming at all. No one's expecting a resurrection. So when, look at verse 4, it says that looking up upon arrival, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, then they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. They did not, I want you to know, in that moment, slap themselves on the forehead and say, oh, that's right. How could we forget? I made a note of it in my phone when he said it, but I completely forgot that he said he'd come back. There's no sense of, of light bulbs coming on. They didn't grasp it. And, and, and not only the first time, it, it, it took quite a while for the, even the, the potential of the reality of the announcement to set in. And that's why the angel had to continue in verse 6. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who's been crucified. He's risen. He's not here. Behold, check out the place where they laid him. He ain't there anymore. In other words... The literal, 
physical, actual, factual explanation for the fact that Jesus' body wasn't there is not that it was moved or misplaced. It's not that it was stolen or, or somehow hidden away. The explanation he was no, is that he was no longer dead. He had risen from the dead. And not only that, the angel goes on to tell them, guess what, guys? He's on the move. I mean, he is up and he is out. And, and he is looking for you. And you're going to see him soon because he's got an assignment to give you. He's got work for you to do. And, and he's going to rekindle the, the rich friendships that you thought were lost for the rest of this life. And, and you know, since the New Testament provides us with overwhelming evidence that the resurrection is real. We're not going to get into that evidence today, but I'm telling you, it's all out there. Some of the greatest legal minds in history have studied the, the case for the resurrection, and they've concluded it's as good a case as, as ever been brought in a court of law. But because the New Testament provides that evidence, here's what I want you to know. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is something every single one of us has to reckon with personally. Having heard of it, we have to decide what to do with it. And guess what? The Bible tells us what the choices are. In Romans 1.4, the Apostle Paul says this. In, in speaking of the resurrection, he says that the resurrection, upon rising from the dead, Romans 1.4 says that Jesus Christ was, in fact, quote, declared to be the Son of God with power. While on the other hand, in 1 Corinthians 15, same author, Jesse read it with us or for us a little bit earlier, Paul's also honest enough to say that, listen, but if he hasn't been raised, your faith is worthless, futile. You've either got to decide he is the Son of God with resurrection power, or he was a fake and a fraud, and you have no business being here. Go get in line for brunch right now, because we don't need to be here. It's one or the other. And the reason you... And by you, I mean all y'all and me. The reason we must reckon with it is because according to our little Greek word here, agerthe, Christ's resurrection, this is the third and final thing I want to show you this morning. Christ's resurrection is an event that endures. The resurrection of Jesus is an event that endures. And that is something we discover in our little Greek word, agerthe, by focusing on the even littler English word right in the middle of the statement, he has risen. Because, you know, at first glance, and, and, and many of us, if you are a believer in Jesus this morning and you're familiar with the Easter story, you've heard this, you've read this, you've seen this so many times. And at first glance, it, it, would, be, it would be easy to assume that, that has is probably the least important part of the statement, Right? Has is, is just there. It's just a plain old ordinary past tense verb doing its verby thing, connecting subjects and objects and making sense out of, of what's being communicated. It's there because it has to be. But I'm here to tell you it might be the most important word in the statement. It might be the most important one. Because where most of our contemporary English Bibles, and I don't know what translation you're looking at this morning, but most of our contemporary English Bibles translate this statement as minded, as I've read it for you this morning. He has risen. But if you go back to older English translations of the Bible, it's translated differently, more literally, and thus more correctly. 
And if you go back to the Greek, you'll see this is exactly what Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they recorded it, said. When they recorded Agarathe, the literal translation is not he has risen, it is he is risen. He is risen. And that is a difference with a very great distinction. Because what that means is this. What it means, and the reason it matters, is because while has speaks of an event... That, that did really take place at some point in history past. It did, in fact, happen, and, and it may have even been important. Is tells us that what happened a long time ago still matters today, and it matters every bit as much as it did the first Easter Sunday morning. Think of it this way. Everybody who studied American history, been taught American history, and I don't know how many people that is anymore, but if you have been taught American history We know, we are told as a factual event that on Christmas night, 1776, George Washington and the Army of the Potomac crossed the Delaware. And and, and subsequently, after that happened, and it was sort of a fantastic event in all of itself, but that was a major turning point. A major turning point in the pursuit of American independence. In other words, if that hadn't happened that night, we might not be the people and the nation that we are today. Everybody agrees that that has happened. But I'm willing to lay money on the line, not that I'm a betting man, but if I were, I'd place this one, that there's not a single person in this room who has ever woken up in the morning, head on the pillow, trying to drag themselves out of bed, saying, man, that Washington crossing the Delaware thing, that was something, wasn't it? Man, I'm going to think about that all day, and it's going to haunt me all night, and tomorrow I'm going to think about it again. I'm just guessing you've never done that. What I'm saying is this. Listen, it was an event that shaped the world you live in, but it does not impact, practically speaking, the way you live your daily life. It is an event that shaped the world you live in, but it doesn't impact the choices, the decisions that you make in your everyday life. But he is risen means that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago can and should. And for those of us who know him, it does. We can and we should wake up every morning saying what Jesus did for me. Wow. Not only can't I get over it, I don't want to get over it. I want to be more in awe of it, of him tomorrow, next Easter, than I am today, this Easter. I want to grow in my understanding and my responsiveness to what Jesus did for me. Because you see, because he is risen, your sins can be forgiven. Because he is risen, you can be certain about where you're going to spend eternity. Because he is risen, you have the option today, this moment, to say no to wickedness and yes to holiness. Because he is risen, you have the power as a believer within you to freely love, to freely serve, to freely forgive people, even the ones who hate you and that you don't much like either. Because he is risen, listen to me, you can live without fearing the future. Period. Simply put, the news that he is risen means it's an event that endures and can impact your life for the better every single day. 
A number of years ago, the late pastor Ray Stedman wrote, he was writing about the resurrection. As I read this, think about this was at least 30, if not 40 years ago. But here's what he said about the resurrection. Quote, someone has called our present generation Saturday's children. Again, thinking about Easter weekend. For, he said, in the midst of an increasingly godless world, despair grips people's hearts everywhere. Hopelessness and meaninglessness come crushing in on us from every side. And without the resurrection, we are all Saturday's children. While, he continues, Sunday's children live in the historical, intellectual, and emotional reality of the resurrection. And because he is risen, Stedman concludes, Sunday's children are exactly what this world needs. People living the reality of the resurrection every day. Which side of the resurrection are you on this morning? Saturday or Sunday? And, and, and it really doesn't matter what your spiritual condition was when you came in. This is a question for those who do not yet believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, and it is a question for those of us who do, because we can slip back to Saturday so, oh so easily and, and live apart from, not in the reality of, of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Which side of the resurrection are you on? And depending on where you are this morning, what do you need to do? Some of you this morning... You do, in fact, need to repent of your sin and trust Jesus Christ as Savior to take this message of death, burial, and resurrection to heart really for the first time because you've heard it and you know it, but you've never actually trusted Him. And in these next few moments, that's exactly what you need to do. It is simply, Lord Jesus, I'm a great sinner, but I just heard that you're a great Savior and I trust you. For others of us, as I said, we, we're already believers. We came knowing the message this morning. We're familiar with the message. You could tell the story, but you've slipped back to Saturday. You're living in the old identity. You've, you've drifted. You've strayed. Maybe it was willful. Maybe you didn't even see it happening. And all of a sudden, as it were, if you were to wake up this morning, you'd say, how did I end up here? And you need to, to come back to Jesus when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he will not shame you for doing it. And you need to say, Lord, I, I don't know what it means, but I know it's what I need to do. And then there are those of you, those of us who came today ready, right? You woke up rejoicing because it's Easter. You know he's risen and you're glad for it and, and your walk with him is strong. What do you need to do? How about take it to the next level and tell somebody else? Let it shape the way you live your life every day. Because you see, the big idea this Easter Sunday morning is, is simply this. Because he lives, we can too. Because he lives, we can too. And having taken what I hope for you this morning is a fresh look at the resurrection, I want to urge us to go out and do just that for his glory. 
and for the sake of others who still need to know. Let's pray. And as you bow your head, as the worship team comes back to lead us in one final song of victory and triumph, listen, I want you to, I want to invite you right where you are, head bowed, hopefully mind focused, and not for my sake and not for the sake of the person who brought you this morning, but respond to what the Spirit of God is saying to you. My words may not make sense to you this morning, but he has a funny way of being able to interpret them and make them very, very clear. If you don't know Jesus this morning or you're just not sure, I beg you not to wait till next Easter or Christmas or till life settles down. Guess what? It doesn't settle down. And say, Lord Jesus, I believe. I trust you. And I want you to be Lord of my life. Then I want to just urge you who are my brothers and sisters, who are at a hard place today, a distant place. Maybe you've closed yourself off from really letting the Lord have his way. And your spirit, you would say, is dry. You know, the longer you, you stay there, Jesus can rescue, but the, the more the enemy will make you think you have to stay there and that if you were to, to tell somebody where you really are, if you were really to come clean before the Lord, it would, just, it would be awful and, and nothing could be further from the truth. Think of how the, the, the father of the prodigal son stood at the edge of the road waiting, looking, welcomed his wayward child back with joy, treating him as royalty. And if you're a believer, you are royalty, even if you uh, doesn't feel like it today. And then those of you who are rejoicing, celebrating, you've got good news to share and you know it. Just say, Lord, use me. Just use me as I stand in awe of you, as I walk with you as a friend. Just to take a few moments of quiet while Jesse plays before I pray for us all. Do the thing that needs to be done. Lord Jesus, thank you that this morning we are Sunday's children. That we have been rescued from the domain of darkness. We have been delivered into your kingdom, the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And we are new creations. We are sons, daughters, heirs of the King. And best of all, Lord, we're the friends of God. Father, thank you that the invitation to join the family remains open. Father, that just because some of us have have been there a while, does not put us at an advantage. And those who might be entering today at a disadvantage, that all are welcome at your table, all are welcome in your house, all are welcome at the throne of Jesus. And there is no distance between him and any one of his children. Thank you for Easter. Thank you for a specific opportunity to gather and remember, again, the, the linchpin of our faith. Death and resurrection living hope. 
Lord, we love you and we pray that you would take the things of truth spoken here this morning, seal them up in our hearts, move them to our hands and feet, to our lips and our eyes and our ears, and take everything else and just let it all be forgotten so that we leave truly seeking, savoring, rejoicing in Jesus alone, in whose name we pray. Amen.